I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I have developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we'll be looking at Job chapters 32 through 34. Now in these uh, three chapters, along with three more, we'll be looking at uh, a new character. His name is Elihu. Elihu describes himself as a younger man, and he spends six chapters, chapters 32 all the way down to the end of chapter 37, giving his monologue regarding Job's dilemma, of course, as he sees it. Now, chapter 32, verse 1. So these three men ceased to answer Job, because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite, of the kindred of Ram. Against Job was his wrath kindled, because he justified himself rather than God. Also against his three friends was his wrath kindled, because they had found no answer, and yet had condemned Job. Now Elihu had waited till Job had spoken, because they were elder than he. When Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, then his wrath was kindled. And Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite, answered and said, I am young, and you are very old. Wherefore, I was afraid, and durst not show you mine opinion. I said, Days should speak, and multitude of years should teach wisdom. But there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. Great men are not always wise, neither do the aged understand judgment. Therefore I said, Hearken to me, I also will show mine opinion. Behold, I waited for your words, I gave ear to your reasons, whilst ye searched out what to say. Yea, I attended unto you, and behold, there was none of you that convinced Job, or that answered his words. Lest ye should say, We have found out wisdom. God thrusteth him down, not man. Now he hath not directed his words against me, neither will I answer him with your speeches. They were amazed, they answered no more, they left off speaking. When I had waited, for they spake not, but stood still, and answered no more, I said, I will answer also my part. I also will show mine opinion, for I am full of matter. The spirit within me constraineth me. Behold, my belly is as wine which hath no vent. It is ready to burst like new bottles. I will speak that I may be refreshed. I will open my lips and answer. Let me not, I pray you, accept any man's person, neither let me give flattering titles unto man. For I know not to give flattering titles, in so doing any maker would soon take me away." Now Job had just completed his ninth monologue, which began in Job chapter 26 and continued all the way down to Job chapter 31. Job's three friends have just given up, according to verse 1, because they say Job was righteous in his own eyes. Is there anybody else here that can get Job to admit to wrongdoing? Well, hang on for a five-chapter ride from still wet behind the ears, Elihu. As a matter of fact... He's the last one to speak before God answers in chapter 38. Elihu is a young man, we see that in verse 6, and up to this point has deferred to his elders, 
or so he says. But now he just can't hold back any longer. He speaks and speaks and speaks some more. Actually, he just gets ramped up in this chapter as he justifies why he has chosen to pile on to Job here. He's not happy with Job's three friends who have spoken already. He explains that he doesn't feel that they have expressed the situation correctly. Well, and he's no fan of Job either. Look at verse 5. He's an angry orator. As a matter of fact, Elihu gives us a heads up that he's angry. So uh, I think when I read this, I'll probably read it um, in sort of an angry tone. You may want to try that yourself. By the way, he reinforces his purpose for speaking in verses 19 and 20. Elihu admits that it's primarily for his own satisfaction and not really for Job's benefit at all. The whole chapter is comprised of Elihu telling us that he's decided to speak out and what brought him to that decision. And it was the incompetence of Job's friends to successfully verbalize Job's predicament. In making a fair assessment of Elihu's five-chapter speech, which seems to follow the same course as the speeches of Job's previous three accusers, it should be at least pointed out that God specifically rebukes Eliphaz, Zophar, and Bildad when he gets down to Job chapter 42, verses 7 through 9. But Elihu doesn't get any rebuke. Those three were even required to make sacrifices as a very formal apology before Job because they have not spoken me the thing which is right, like my servant Job, which is spoken, which is written in Job chapter 42, verse 8. However, even though Elihu is likewise disputing Job's assessment of the situation, neither Elihu nor his monologue is mentioned there in Job chapter 42 at the conclusion of this book. We see in the first seven verses of Job chapter 33 that Elihu really does seem to like to hear himself talk. Verse 1, Wherefore, Job, I pray thee, hear my speeches and hearken to all my words. Behold, now I have opened my mouth, my tongue hath spoken in my mouth. My words shall be of the uprightness of my heart, and my lips shall utter knowledge clearly. The Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. If thou canst answer me, set thy words in order before me, stand up. Behold, I am according to thy wish in God's stead. I also am formed out of the clay. Behold, my terror shall not make thee afraid, neither shall my hand be heavy upon thee. So who is this guy that steps up and takes over? Well, look at verse 2. He says, Behold, now I have opened my mouth. My tongue hath spoken in my mouth. Now, who talks like that anyway? It's hard to speak at all without moving your tongue. Here we are, seven verses into the second chapter of his speech, and Elihu is still giving his introduction, really having said nothing substantive in 29 verses. Hang on, this could be a long monologue. Incidentally, keep in mind, this is written in a Hebrew poetic format. In these next 11 verses of chapter 33, verses 8 through 18, we see that Elihu summarizes Job's monologues, and then he disputes them. Verse 8, Surely thou hast spoken in mine hearing, and I have heard the voice of thy words, saying, I am clean without transgression, I am innocent, neither is there iniquity in me. Behold, he findeth occasions against me, he counteth me for his enemy. He putteth my feet in the stocks, he maketh all my paths. 
Behold, in this thou art not just. I will answer thee, that God is greater than man. Why dost thou strive against him? For he giveth not account of any of his matters. For God speaketh once, yea, twice. Yea, man perceiveth it not. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falleth upon men, in slumberings upon the bed, then he openeth the ears of men, and sealeth their instruction, that he may withdraw man from his purpose, and hide pride from man. He keepeth back his soul from the pit, and his life from perishing by the sword. This is all Job needs. Another orator to tell him that he's unrighteous. As a matter of fact, Elihu sums up Job's defense in verses 9-11, through 11, and concludes in verse 12 this, Behold, in this thou art not just. Elihu further expresses his assessment of Job's situation in verse 13, when he says this, Why dost thou strive against him? In Elihu's mind, Job is resisting God when he defends himself. Elihu is determined to finally get through to Job that this is the wrong approach. Actually, it's difficult to find too much fault with Elihu's assessment in verses 9-11. through 11. He actually has captured the essence of Job's monologues as Job has portrayed God as out to get him, well, so to speak. However, verse 9 is an exaggeration of anything that had been claimed by Job when Elihu accuses Job of having said, I am clean without transgression, I am innocent, neither is there iniquity in me. Job never actually said that. Elihu had just gleaned that from Job's monologues. Subsequently, as far as his assessment of verses 12 and 13, Elihu declares that Job's wrongdoing is in his own responses, as in the nine speeches of Job that preceded Elihu. And then there's that dream thing that Job mentioned back in Job chapter 7, verse 14, when he said, Then thou scarest me with dreams, and terrifiest me through visions. Elihu thinks he's on to something when he says in verses 14 through 18 that those nightmares had meaning actual communications from God. Elihu's monologue has a little different slant to it. We see that beginning in verse 19. He is chastened also with pain upon his bed, and the multitude of his bones with strong pain, so that his life abhorreth bread, and his soul dainty meat. His flesh is consumed away, that it cannot be seen, and his bones that were not seen stick out. Yea, his soul draweth near unto the grave, and his life to the destroyers. If there be a messenger with him, an interpreter, one among a thousand, to show unto man his uprightness, then he is gracious unto him, and saith, Deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. His flesh shall be fresher than a child's. He shall return to the days of his youth. He shall pray unto God, and he will be favorable unto him, and he shall see his face with joy." For he will render unto man his righteousness. He looketh upon men, and if any say, I have sinned, and perverted that which was right, and it profiteth me not, he will deliver his soul from going into the pit, and his life shall see the light. Lo, all these things worketh God oftentimes with man, to bring back his soul from the pit, to be enlightened with the light of the living. Mark well, O Job, hearken unto me, hold thy peace, and I will speak. If thou hast anything to say, answer me, speak, for I desire to justify thee. If not, hearken unto me, hold thy peace, and I shall teach thee wisdom. Well, Elihu does miss the mark with his assessment in verse 19 when he implies that Job is being chastened. 
He then suggests that he who responds submissively to God's chastisement will regain health and joy. So Elihu simply feels that Job's problem is the fact that he's dwelled on the problem just too much. Instead, Elihu feels that Job should have immediately accepted that which was obvious to him, that he was being chastised. He should have confessed it and moved on as far as Elihu is concerned. Let's pay particular attention to verse 23. He says, If there be a messenger with him, an interpreter, one among a thousand, to show unto man his uprightness. Elihu is making a reference to those dreams that Job had in verses 14 through 18. And he suggests there that not only did those dreams have meaning, but Job needs someone to interpret them for him, and in so doing, he will deliver his soul from going into the pit. That's in verse 28. So is Elihu suggesting that he himself is that dream interpreter? Well, notice his words in verses 31 through 33. He says, Mark well, O Job, hearken unto me. Hold thy peace, and I will speak. If thou hast anything to say, answer me. Speak, for I desire to justify thee. If not, hearken unto me. Hold thy peace, and I shall teach thee wisdom. It looks as though Elihu has assumed the position as Job's dream interpreter. One big problem, though. God does declare Job righteous before these very witnesses in Job chapter 42. Well, that in itself invalidates Elihu's whole argument here. In chapter 34, Elihu continues blasting Job. Verse 1. Furthermore, Elihu answered and said, Hear my words, O wise men, and give ear unto me, ye that have knowledge. For the ear trieth the words, as the mouth tasteth meat. Let us choose to us judgment. Let us know among ourselves what is good. For Job hath said, I am righteous, and God hath taken away my judgment. Should I lie against my right? My wound is incurable without transgression. What man is like Job, who drinketh up scorning like water, which goeth in company with the workers of iniquity, and walketh with wicked men? For he hath said, It profiteth a man nothing that he should delight himself with God. We see in verse 2 that Elihu is addressing more than just Job when he says, Hear my words, O ye wise men, and give ear unto me, ye that have knowledge. He accuses Job of having said, I am righteous. He says that in verse 5. Well, Job actually did say that in chapter 12, verse 4, chapter 13, verse 18, and chapter 27, verse 6. As for the remainder of verse 5, God hath taken away my judgment... It would appear that Job had said that also in Job chapter 27, verse 2. In essence, Job had said on those occasions that he was innocent and was being treated unjustly. At least that's the way Elihu heard it. However, we don't find any of Job's speeches where he actually declares himself to be without transgression, as Elihu asserts in verse 6. He distorts a bit of one of the monologues by Eliphaz when he asserts in verse 7 and says the following, What man is like Job who drinketh up scorning like water? What Eliphaz had actually said in Job chapter 15 verse 16 was this, How much more abominable and filthy is man which drinketh iniquity like water? Job had defended himself in chapter 21 by pointing out that sometimes the wicked do prosper. 
Elihu capitalizes on that statement and distorts it in verse 8 when he accuses Job of hanging with these wicked people. And in verse 9, Elihu asserts that Job had said the following, It profiteth a man nothing that he should delight himself with God. How's that for twisting a man's words? Elihu then takes off on the consequences of being wicked down through verse 30. And Elihu presents his shallow solution the next few verses, beginning with verse 10. Therefore hearken unto me, ye men of understanding, far be it from God that he should do wickedness, and from the Almighty that he should commit iniquity. For the work of a man shall render unto him, and cause every man to find according to his ways. Yea, surely God will not do wickedly, neither will the Almighty pervert judgment. Who hath given him a charge over the earth, or who hath disposed the whole world? If he set his heart upon man, if he gather unto himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh shall perish together, and man shall turn again into dust. If now thou hast understanding, hear this, hearken to the voice of my words. Shall even he that hateth right govern? And wilt thou condemn him that is most just? Is it fit to say to a king, Thou art wicked, and to princes, You are ungodly? How much less to him that accepteth not the persons of princes, nor regardeth the rich more than the poor, for they all are the work of his hands. In a moment shall they die, and the people shall be troubled at midnight, and pass away, and the mighty shall be taken away without hand. For his eyes are upon the ways of men, and he seeth all his goings. There is no darkness nor shadow of death, where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. For he will not lay upon man more than right, that he should enter into judgment with God. He shall break in pieces mighty men without number, and set others in their stead. Therefore he knoweth their works, and he overturneth them in the night, so that they are destroyed. He striketh them as wicked men in the open sight of others, because they turned back from him, and would not consider any of his ways. So then they caused the cry of the poor to come unto him, and he heareth the cry of the afflicted. When he giveth quietness, who then can make trouble? And when he hideth his face, who then can behold him, whether it be done against a nation or against a man only, that the hypocrite reign not, lest the people be ensnared? Surely is meet to be said unto God, I have borne chastisement, I will not offend any more. That which I see not, teach thou me. If I have done iniquity, I will do no more. Should it be according to thy mind, he will recompense it, whether thou refuse or whether thou choose, and not I. Therefore speak what thou knowest. Let men of understanding tell me, and let a wise man hearken unto me. Job hath spoken without knowledge, and his words were without wisdom. My desire is that Job may be tried unto the end because of his answers for wicked men. For he addeth rebellion unto his sin. He clappeth his hands among us and multiplieth his words against God. Well, and of course, man is evil. Elihu spends the rest of this chapter saying so. So here's Elihu's solution in verses 31 and 32. He says, Surely it is meet to be said unto God, I have borne chastisement. I will not offend any more. That which I see not, teach thou me. If I have done iniquity, I will do no more. Here's what he's saying. There's no harm in admitting that you've sinned. Just go ahead and admit it. Confess it and put it behind you. Now, how is this speech different from Job's other three friends? 
However, to Job, admitting wrongdoing without having actually committed any wrongdoing is to forfeit one's integrity. Now, lest you think that Elihu has some merit in his speech, let me bring your attention to verses 35 through 37. These three verses clearly destroy Elihu's credibility as his statements are just dead wrong. Remember, we know why Job is experiencing his trial. Elihu has no clue whatsoever. Just look at the accusations made against Job in verses 35 through 37. He said in verse 35, Job hath spoken without knowledge. In verse 36, he says, Job answers for wicked men. In verse 37, he says, Job addeth rebellion unto his sin. And again in verse 37, he says, Job multiplieth his words against God. A case can be made for Job's speeches that he certainly lacked knowledge. I'll stipulate to that. And I suppose that Job's contention that wicked people do sometimes prosper might have been construed by his audience to mean that he was somehow justifying the wicked. Although, that's not at all what he actually said or meant. However, the accusation by Elihu that Job addeth rebellion into his sin is just plain old ignorance speak. We know from chapters 1 and 2 that there's no accuracy there whatsoever. Furthermore, to make the accusation against Job that he multiplieth his words against God, well, that's just a vicious attack on Job's integrity. Elihu is wrong, wrong, wrong. And so, Elihu goes on for two more chapters. This monologue continues on into chapter 35. Now, here's the lesson on counseling. Let me make it again. Make sure your motivations for giving counsel are correct not for selfish purposes. Some people just like to hear themselves talk to tickle their own egos. Elihu had already admitted that his need to vent his reactions was his motivation for speaking. He said that up in chapter 32, verses 19 and 20. So just make sure when you help folks that your motives are good. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletribe.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walker.